evening. Welcome to this week's Red Voices podcast. Cheers for your company this week to discuss United's games against Wolves and Crystal Palace, where everything went totally well and went to plan, and we haven't got anything to worry about. Rich, how many episodes did you have uh, that you thought we'd actually get through before we started talking about a defeat this season? And be honest with me. I had thought we'd probably lose one of the first two games, so not many, but... um... It's almost it's, right, it was almost it was almost kind of cruel, wasn't it? Because we essentially out- overperformed in the first in the first game. Then I think I'm sure we'll talk about it in greater depth. But I, I actually think we were pretty good in the Wolves game. And then yesterday was just some horrible reminder of everything we'd just about forgotten from the end of last season, wasn't it? Uh, no, it wasn't ideal, was it? No, um, a uh, tricky week for the discourse and also the games in some ways. So yeah, I guess we'll. Uh, We'll stroll back to uh, Monday night's antics at Molyneux. Uh, fresh from a three-goal performance in our five-a-side game. I'm sure you're very proud of that. Sat down to watch United Wolves. And, I mean, you said it there. You know, when we saw the first two fixtures come up this season, Chelsea and Wolves away in particular, you know, I think there was expectation that United would drop points and getting four points out of those two games would be a good thing. And I think it's one of those situations where prior to that 90 minutes, you probably would have taken a draw against Wolves, considering that, yes, they might have had a, not had a fantastic first game of the season, but they always raise their game when they play us or any of the other top, you know, quote-unquote top sort of five or six teams. And I think the way that game progressed, it was, you know, there's, there's only other sort of, the only emotion you can sort of leave with that was one of slight frustration, I guess. I mean, mm. it was surprising, especially considering how games against Wolves have gone. And I was really expecting, considering that lineup, which was essentially, what, 4-2-3-1, I fully expected United to try and hit Wolves on the break and allow them to dominate possession because what we tried to do in the previous two meetings over, at, uh, over in the West Midlands has been seemingly to try and stifle the game to a certain extent and have a lot of the ball and not necessarily create much. And for that first half, we actually did pretty well in the end, didn't we? Yeah, we did. I think it was it was interesting just how passive and, and adventurous Wolves were. And I think that was perhaps um, a sign of them having given us a slightly more respect than they did did last year or needed to give us last year after the after Chelsea game. But I also think United United controlled the game in that first half in a way that we haven't seen a United team do for a very long time. And if you look at the way the game progressed this year as opposed to the way the two games progressed in the past that we both lost 2-1 last season what happened was United were good in the early stages but as soon as they faced some adversity and a bit of pressure basically just caved and what happened this time was that we scored and actually continued to control the game and if it hadn't just been for that 10 minutes after half term where we did just lose a measure of control we would have won that game and even then We'd have won the game if you know if we'd scored the penalty, or if, or if Luke Shaw had scored that that chance right at the end. And you know, over the ninety minutes, we we were very much the better team, I think, of the two, which which we couldn't say in either of the defeats at Molyneux last year. No, I mean as well. I think what was most encouraging was similar to what we were seeing against uh, Chelsea the week before. United basically got one very good presentable chance in that first half against Wolves and took it mm. very very well. You know, it was really good interplay between Martial, Rashford, Shaw and Lingard to actually set up the chance. And a really nice finish by Martial. And again, you know, it it doesn't necessarily seem like he's going to need a lot of chances this season in order to score his goals. You know, he scored an absolute 
beauty on uh, Monday night against Wolves and that was really encouraging to see and I think considering that Wolves have been as you mentioned surprisingly unadventurous in that first half that was just reward for the fact that we controlled the tempo of that game really well obviously the issue was uh, at the start of the second half we did lose a measure of that control Mm. and then conceded albeit a very very good goal but also quite a preventable one you know it was an excellent shot by Ruben Neves and there is a frustration that especially with the way the ball came back out to the edge of the uh, the, uh, the penalty area. We didn't get out quickly enough to actually block that shot opportunity, but it was struck so well. I mean, De Gea didn't really have much of a chance with it at all. And I think it was difficult to completely disagree with it. And I think what was comforting to an extent was Wolves did up the pressure for sort of those 10, 15, 20 minutes around that goal area. But at the same time, I think we actually looked the da- the danger, the actual team that was most likely to get a goal as the game wore on. Of course, having said that, we still conceded a goal and struggled to maintain control to a certain extent. I guess the, the biggest change was in that second half in particular was Triori coming on and giving Shaw much less of an outlet. So that sort of limited our options from trying to play out from the back to a certain extent because we definitely looked under more pressure to actually get the ball out. But yeah, I mean, you know, difficult to have too many complaints about the goal itself. It was beautifully well struck. But as you said there, we did actually respond to an extent, even if we didn't create a barrage of chances. And I guess the next thing to talk about is that absolutely ridiculous penalty discourse. So talk me through your feelings on the actual challenge and the actual penalty itself. What did you think of it? Well, I mean, it was a, it was a really nice... United haven't, haven't played, and we'll talk, we'll talk even more about it, about the Palace game, but United don't play quickly enough in the in and around the, the penalty area. And that was one, one occasion where we, we really sped it up and played quickly, and Pogba burst into the area and won the penalty. And there's been a lot said about it, and I, I think a lot of it was over the top with regards to the kind of discourse around the decision for Pogba to take the penalty. I mean, it's clear now... When when Solskjaer's explained it, that, that both he and Rashford are designated takers, and as we've seen this weekend, you know Rashford's not um, infallible from the penalty spot either, and, and, and didn't really have a huge sample size in terms of the number he'd taken. I think it was one of those things where I'd have had Rashford take it, but I don't. I'm not up in arms that the Pogba did. I mean, ultimately he took a reasonable penalty. It was really well saved, and we didn't win the game. Mm. I don't think it's quite as big a deal as as it was made out to be. And then there's a much wider discourse, which I think we're also going to, going to talk about in terms of abuse of players and whatever else. And I, and I think the way that that was portrayed by some people made Pogba into something of a, of a, a demonised figure again. Um, and and it, it perhaps contributed to some of the abuse that he that he faced later. I mean, as, as people have pointed out, United under Fergie had occasions where that a similar thing happened. I think someone... someone pointed out the penalty that Carrick missed at Burnley when we were 1-0 down in in about must have been about perhaps 2011 time basically the, he he'd expected two other people to take it and nobody wanted it so he ended up taking it and missing it and we lost 1-0 so <clears throat> i think you're going to get that kind of that kind of discourse on on the pitch i'm i'm far more concerned by the fact that nobody seems to be willing to take the ball off Marcus Rashford when United get a free kick <laughs> yeah I mean that wasn't particularly great either that's moving towards uh, yesterday's game against Palace and uh, set piece delivery is still an issue whether corners or free kicks we are not good at either at the moment but yeah the the, the whole issue just got blown completely out of proportion and I don't want to start labeling people like Gary Neville who basically led a lot of that issue in the post-match discussion and discourse 
and saying that he enabled racism because that's not quite true. No. But the problem is that the sensationalism fed into the reaction and it was completely and utterly avoidable. Mm. The whole thing was just blown way out of proportion. It was a penalty that was missed in a game of football, ultimately in the second game of the season. And in terms of the reason that Pogba took it, he won it. You know, that it's not uncommon to see players that win penalties want to take them immediately afterwards. And, you know, suggestions that we've seen this week of Solskjaer not having enough control, not having enough leaders. I think it actually points to more of a fact that the team is a bit more autonomous. It doesn't necessarily have to, you know, have a set of defined rules in order for it to function. And... The easy thing about this situation is if Pogba had scored it, then where would the complaints be? They really wouldn't be there at all. And ultimately, it wasn't a terribly struck penalty. The keeper just got down well to save it. That was the crux of the matter. And, you know, the the bigger issue for me after that penalty miss was that we didn't really create too much of note in the subsequent minutes, you know, following that, that would have made it completely redundant and a pointless conversation anyway. But obviously, that was the headline. and It's just tiring and exhausting. It, It didn't need to happen um, as far as I'm concerned, I don't mind as who, who takes the penalties, Pogba or Rashford, as long as they score. Obviously, that's not happened in two games. But I guess it's nice that we've been rewar- rewarded three penalties so far this season. So if that keeps on, how many more goals are we going to miss, I guess? <laughs> anyway, as uh, as that game wore on, uh, one all, not a terrible result whatsoever. You know, it was... Uh, somewhat frustrating not to have come away with the win considering that we pretty much had a big measure of control in the game itself but then we sort of start prepping for Saturday's visit of Crystal Palace a game that reasonably considering the terrible record that Palace have against United considering they'd never actually beat us in the Premier League era you know I think we all felt considering the attackers that we had on show and the the way that the team had played against Wolves and against Chelsea we were going to have a relatively comfortable afternoon that went well yeah I don't, I'm not sure I'm not sure I did I tweeted before that that United were going to have their first real test taste of, of facing essentially facing their kryptonite from last season which was which was an incredibly compact team, which is going to defend very deep and try and counter-attack. And it's such a difficult game to analyse because there was a very hysterical reaction to the loss. And, and in part, I understand why that was the case. But it was such a weird game in that there were so many little things. You know, I don't even think Palace played particularly well, but there were so many things that went against United. Some of them were within our control, some of them weren't within our control. And for all of those things to happen in the same game and to combine all at once to lead to United losing was was quite unusual. I mean, obviously, there were plenty of individual errors um, and you could see the issues that United have with breaking down a, a compact team and the lack of creativity that we have if, if, if we're not looking at Paul Pogba. I think there are issues with the team selection, which will... You know, we can talk about it in greater depth and with the way that Oli managed the game. But also, the referee of VAR seems stunningly managed to not award a penalty for absolutely blatant foul on Martial. Probably should have sent Gary Cahill off earlier in the game. And then Palace scored their winner essentially when United had been playing for 10 minutes with 10 men because Martial couldn't walk and was basically immobile on the touchline on the side that Van Aanholt was able to break down and score the winner. So it was this combination of all these different factors... That, that some of which United's fault, but not all of which United's fault, that led to the to the defeat. And I feel like there's perhaps a little bit too much sort of teeth grinding over it, and we should just wait and see what happens against Southampton to really start drawing any meaningful conclusions. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I 
don't get me wrong, when I was watching that game, I was incredibly frustrated yeah. with the way yeah. that game was panning out. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the issues, the biggest problems from that game for me stem from the fact that we were in total control of that first half until IU scored. And it was such a cheap goal to concede as well. You know, I know that there were a couple of elements that contributed to it. You know, I don't know whether or not Harry Maguire was somewhat conscious of the fact that Luke Shaw had seemingly pulled up and had a problem with his hamstring and was making sure to go a little bit over to the left-hand side to try and give him some help. But that's really no excuse for the limp way in which Lindelof just failed to get any sort of control on that header whatsoever. You know, the the, the challenge was poor. You know, it wasn't great at all. And IU had, you know, so much time. And it was such an easy goal for them to score as well, considering that at that point, I don't think that actually threatened whatsoever. And I guess the issue then continued for a couple of moments in that half, where I think they had about three or four players right in front of the penalty area with none of our defenders anywhere near them and could arguably have made it 2-0. Thinking back to that first half, it was definitely frustrating in the sense that whilst we definitely had a measure of control over the game, we weren't necessarily carving out a lot. But it's one of those situations where if you go in at 0-0, you're still expecting to win that game. Going in at 1-0 down, you're instantly thinking, right, what can United do to change things up? You know, there were still good things happening. I thought Martial was playing well. Rashford and Pogba were still able to get into good, decent positions. But I think it was a bigger test for some of the younger lads. You know, I don't think Wan-Bissaka had his best game for us. I think he, as the game wore on and the game became more stretched, it's great that he's playing up so high. But I think positionally, he just needs to be a bit more wise in terms of how far he can commit himself forward because he's not going to get a lot of help down that right-hand flank from anyone else. So a lot of pressure and responsibility is on him. Again, McTominay, I didn't think had a fantastic game, but you know, came in and won us that penalty. But I guess it's just the way that the game actually got away from us for a second time in particular because we did well to actually force our way back into it. And it was an excellent goal by Daniel James. You know, Daniel James is again someone who's taken absolute pelters in the last week for his perceived level of performance against Wolves. You know, people don't think he's all that. And I still think he's three games into his senior United career. Let's just maybe hold off on that a little bit. But I guess that's not really how Twitter works. So more for me, I guess. But no, it, it especially with the way that he got booked for quote unquote diving in that game against Wolves and then got Again, another booking for uh, diving when MacArthur clearly banged him on the knee and the referee T and he completely missed it. But it was great to see him score that goal. You know, it was really nice play from us. Very intricate, nice quick passing and a lovely finish into the top corner. Really nice curl on it. And you're thinking at that point, what was it, 88, 89 minutes? United with the five minute stoppage time should really go on and win this game now. We had complete control over what was going on we dominated the game in terms of possession we hadn't carved out a lot of clear chances but we'd done more than enough in order to actually win the game and cause Palace enough problems to suggest that we could get another goal should we keep on pushing along that did not happen did it no I think the problem was at the end there that United were a team that were essentially playing with 10 men with Martial not not playing an active part in the game who had that rush of blood and thought right we need to go on and win this and didn't really give a consideration to the fact that they weren't at full strength and essentially that's what Palace punished. You know, they took advantage of the fact that there we were a man light on the left hand on our right hand side, their left hand side, to, to actually score the winning goal and they kinda of sucker punched us. There was a theme throughout the match and it's something that is the one concern I have about Solskjaer as as a coach at United so far, in that I think I'm still not convinced he's tactically very strong. I I didn't like his his lineup, and I think he doesn't often manage games well enough. Um, 
I think sometimes he he makes changes too late, doesn't react to things that other, that other teams are doing, and he doesn't see things in time. And and I think that United just being too gung ho at the end was just kind of an example of a, a bit of naivety in that in that respect. I think in a wider sense, I'd, I've, I've been very particularly critical of of the selection of Jesse Lingard in the first place um, at number ten because he's been bad. Well, you've got we, we're playing with the number ten who hasn't scored or assisted a goal for Manchester United for six months of Premier League season, so not including the summer. Six months of, of game, of, of full months of games since he last scored or assisted a goal. I mean, that's 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 beyond abject. And he's and it's not it's not just that he doesn't pose enough of a threat generally. He's also in absolutely appalling form. You know, you could see he was shot yesterday. He had the ball played to him a couple of times in the area, and he just completely miscontrolled. He just, he just was completely on the periphery of the game. I think we start, we started again with Dan James on the right hand side, and whilst I think that was a good plan at Wolves, where he did an awful lot of work defensively as well as going forward, he's twice the player on the left hand side, and I know that presents a problem in that we've got to accommodate Martial and Rashford as well. But you saw as soon as he was moved to the left hand side late in the game. That's when he immediately caused problems, and that's where he scored scored the goal from. And there are just other bits and pieces where I worry about Solskjaer as a coach, and I think that contributed to to that yesterday. And I know people will say, "Well, we're not exactly blessed with you know a lot of options in certain positions," and I think we're probably going to get to the stage in a month or two where he can't ignore the younger players at all anymore. You know, even if even if he picked Pereira over over Lingard, you look at that first half where United had. Two or three really, really well well positioned free kicks, and we're just generally absolutely appalling from set pieces. If Pereira offers nothing but set piece set piece quality, then he's offering a great deal more than Lingard is. Mm. And I think we're going to get to a stage probably after the Europa League started, and I expect a few of the younger players to start getting game time in that competition. That we're going to see. I'm, I'm certainly hoping we're going to see them probably breaking into the Premier League team and and dislodging one or two of these guys because I've been really really I've praised Solskjaer a lot for the way that he's moving out and moving down the order a lot of the players that we've wanted to see demoted stroke thrown in the sea shot into the sun sun, stroke sold to China or wherever he's definitely definitely doing that but if there's one guy he hasn't shifted that he that he should be shifting it's it's Lingard um I mean I don't I don't totally disagree with that I think the biggest issue with being with Lingard and it's one of the things that makes the discourse around him so easy to get involved in is just he's just so wildly well it's not even inconsistent now is he? he just goes through patches where he's almost unplayable I can come up with a couple of goals and assists or even several over the course of sort of five or six games. But when he's not performing, he is almost dead weight. And it's not useful for a team that needs to be so locked in, especially that front four in particular, because the passing is becoming more intricate, because we are playing quicker, because first touch in particular for Martial and Rashford at the minute is of such high calibre. When you've got someone near to them who's not doing those things, then it just stands out even more. But you're right. I mean, one of the positive things that we have seen from this season, there's been no Jones, there's been no Rojo, no Smalling, no Matic. Now, Rocco's involvement was always going to be limited anyway. That was always going to be the case because you know, even when the man's fit, we don't really even seem to want to play him. Matic has been an interesting one because I thought that Solskjaer might rely on him a little bit in the early start of the season due to his level of experience. But 
you know, considering the fact that he hasn't gotten off the bench in three games, I think that's really telling as to how much he actually rates him at the moment in terms of how useful he thinks he can be for this team. Um, I mean, there are positive things going on at the minute in, in the side, in some elements. You know, I think Dan James is, you know, there are elements of his game where you suggest that he might not necessarily be ready for the big time. But you look at the actual game on Saturday, he had two pretty decent opportunities prior to scoring his goal, and he keeps finding himself in decent positions. The more he's doing that, the more likely he is to start getting goals and getting on a good scoring run. Two and three is nothing to be sniffed at. And I think he's actually acquitted himself mostly pretty well so far in the United shirt, which is encouraging considering the level of football he was playing last year. And also the, ev- the other element to consider is that we're actually playing football that is getting positive results from him. Mm. And that's great to see. And, you know, obviously the the slight down note on Martial is that it looks like he's injured and might not play any part in the next couple of weeks. You know, obviously there's some hope in the sense that we just have Southampton. Uh, I say just, I mean, we've only got one more game because Lord knows what we're going to see on Saturday. But we've got one more game until the international break and a couple of weeks off. So maybe we'll get Shaw and Martial back. I mean, a side note on Luke Shaw as well. I thought Ashley Young came on and actually did pretty all right. I mean, his crossing again wasn't fantastic as our set piece delivery also was not fantastic but especially in the second half as we were trying to up the pressure I thought he actually did quite well of holding up the ball and passing and also making sure we didn't get broken on too much most of the danger really came from United's right hand side as opposed to the left yeah no it's true it's, it's interesting how Wambasaka's come in like you say he didn't have the greatest game yesterday although I don't think he did anything terribly wrong either but he was very very good in our first two games and it's, it's noticeable how we've gone from position where right back was one of the hugest issues in the team and, and, and left back was something of an afterthought whereas now I'm looking at that team and thinking okay we've got Wan-Bissaka on the right we've got Maguire coming in to hopefully firm things up a little bit in the middle although that's yet to be conclusively proven and I'm looking I'm looking <laughs> yeah. at a left back spot and thinking I don't trust either of them I don't trust Shaw and, and obviously you know nobody wants to see Ashley Young playing football for Manchester United very much but I mean again Young is another one who I think I I I did, I did a tot up a couple of days ago of all the players that Solskjaer's basically shifted towards the away from the first team and towards the exit door, and I think I came up with eleven. You know, Young's another one. He is essentially backing up short rather than our start being our starting right back, and you know, there are loads of others as well. And that's the real positive for me. And also, I look at the talent we've got below the first team, and it's the one thing I'm holding on to because if you look at the fact that United have potentially lost Martial for at least perhaps the next game, if not a bit longer. We look like Sanchez is going, we've sold Lukaku, we're going to have to rely on some of those some of those young kids. But for once, for the first time in, a, I would say, 25 years plus, there's actually a, a wealth of talent below the first team that, that are just kind of ready to, to start making an impact on, on, on in the first team. And we've seen, we've mm. seen the under-23s absolutely rifle their way through their first first three league games and the the under 18s have been extremely good as well and there's there's a there's a clutch of players who kind of stuck stuck in that no man's land between the under 23s and the first team Angel Gomez is one that a lot of people have been calling out for who who was the one the odd man out on um at the weekend the 19th man and didn't play I think for the second second game in a row and you've got Chong and Garner I mean Brandon Williams has been really impressing at left back and there's, 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 there are quite a few that, that really look like they, they can do something and I think what we've got to hold on to this season is that it's not just about what's happening now it's about what's happening longer term 
and I, I've always looked on this season as a bit of a, a free hit. It's we, we could finish anywhere from fourth to fourteenth for me. <laughs> Genuinely, could finish anywhere from fourth to fourteenth, but it's not necessarily a terrible thing in the, in the medium term because if we can successfully transition a few of these players to into the first team, it will save the club an awful lot of money. It will save Ed Woodward an awful lot of looking like a tit for failing to sign players for those positions. It might just get us through a few more years of the Glazers and we can all cross our fingers and hope they sell to somebody that's not a Machiavellian murderous state. I mean, that would be beneficial. I mean, <laughs> if they're going to sell to anyone, but, well, yeah. you know... Fingers crossed, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're right in terms of the sense that we do have a wealth of talent currently in the under-23 team that really is, as you said, stuck in that no-man's land between the first team and the uh, the youth teams. And that's good in the sense that we've got so much talent, but we've got to start using it a little bit more. Mason Greenwood came on for the majority of that second half. And I think he was key in a couple of big moments. You know, he was very present for the goal and also setting up McTominay for that penalty. But I, I, you know, I think it's difficult to sort of chuck a lot of responsibility on his shoulders to sort of try and help us fix this straight away. You know, Angel Gomez would be an interesting one to try at number ten because you know, my preference at the moment, considering that Lingard just does not seem to be able to really get involved in key moments for United, would be to start Matter. But I know that obviously when you require a bit more pace, you're not going to get that from Juan. So why not try Gomez? You know, he's not a big lad. He's never going to be a big lad. You know, if we're not keeping him around to play for the first team, then what would be the point? You know, we've got nothing to lose. As you said there, this season is something of a free hit, which means we can experiment a little bit more. Yes, we've got a lot of Europa League games presumably coming up as well. And those will be options you'd have thought for the likes of Tahith Chong and Gomez and Greenwood to actually play. But there's there's nothing stopping us from trying out a few bits and bobs this season. And I think... What's stopping me from getting too upset about the Palace result yesterday was that you have games like this every now and then, and we've seen United play plenty of games like this over the years where we we felt like we've gotten away with one. You know, mm. Rashford absolutely smashed that ball against the post for the penalty, and there's a couple of centimeters a little bit more inside the post, and that's going into the opposite corner and going in for a, a equalizer. And who knows where the goal goes on from there? A couple of better VAR decisions, or a couple of you know, a, a better referee than Paul Tierney would have made things even better. Because I'm you know, I'm surprised that Gary Cahill stayed on the pitch when it looked very much like he was the last man, and Martial was about to go on on goal. And how on earth we didn't get anything for when Martial was basically being manhandled to the ground in the second half? I'll never know. But there we go. You know, I think the frustration more comes from the fact that we are three games into this league season and we've seen a defeat very, very similar to the ones that we've been watching for the last several years. And I know that fan patience is at such an absolute low that people just do not want... They, they, just, they just can't handle it anymore. Again, I get it, but I, I'm, I just can't chuck myself down that hole just yet. I, I'm... I still think, based on what we've seen these last three games, we've got the makings of something that could get us top four this season. And that might be a little bit fanciful, but at the same stage, I'm I'm actually enjoying watching United more than I was this time last season. All right, we've only got one more point than we had after the first three games 12 months ago, but I don't look forward to United games with a complete sense of absolute dread. I look forward to them with a lot of excitement thinking okay well what are we going to see this week you know we'd imagine that we're going to create some chances and we're going to have some exciting play and we've seen that in every single game so far yes there's stuff to be fixed but I'm enjoying watching United much more than I was 12 months ago obviously that needs to translate into results but I, I guess on the flip side of that you look at some of the other teams around us and 
all right, Liverpool and City have done okay, but none of the other teams that you'd say that we're going to be competing with for those are the two spots for Champions League qualification have been necessarily pulling up any trees. You know, Spurs were lucky to get that opening day victory against Villa and lost to Newcastle today. Arsenal got tonked by Liverpool, predictably, and Chelsea only just won their first game of the league season on Saturday against Norwich. So... You know, I'm more worried about what the teams that we presume to be in and around us come the season's end are getting up to than worried about what City and Liverpool are doing at the minute because we know we're not in a league with them, really, are we? No, but I mean, again, it wasn't. It's not hysteria because there is reasonable grounding in it. But there was a, there was a lot of gnashing of teeth about how we're going to get overtaken by teams like Everton and Wolves and Leicester. You know, not just worried, not just having to worry about the sides above us. And I think. You know, I've seen enough from Leicester this season so far to, to suggest that they are going to be a very, very good side. But if you actually, we have a habit of overstating our own our own inadequacies and understating those that we consider to be in, in competition with us. You know, Wolves really haven't significantly, didn't significantly strengthen in the summer. They've got a couple of interesting players in, but they've but they've also got the Europa League to contend with with a relatively small squad. And you've got a, a club in Everton who I think everyone was very blinded by the signing of Moyes Keane, which is a really exciting signing. But ultimately, they they've actually spent a lot of money trying to trying to actually stand still because they lost their best centre back in Zuma. They had to spend a lot of money on on Gomez to keep him. They lost Gay, who I think was probably one of the top two holding midfielders in the Premier League, or sort of proper defensive midfielders in the Premier League, along with Ndidi. You know they're starting games with Morgan Schneiderlin, and 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 they still haven't got a centre forward that's going to score enough goals for them. And all of the sides, I mean, you know, Spurs today. Watching Spurs today, Spurs were worse than United. Surely not. <clears throat> they were they were worse than United were yesterday, and and, and they looked. You know, considering the, the the talent that's in that side, people have been talking about how we've we've only won three of our last fourteen or fifteen Premier League games. I think going back in t- tail end of last season, well, Spurs have lost. Spurs have only won four of those 15 and have actually lost more games than United in that period all of the sides below Liverpool and City I think have quite considerable weaknesses this season and it could be really really interesting to see just how it how it all plays out but I don't think we can say we can't finish top four any more than we can say we can't finish bottom half because I think all of both of those outcomes are absolutely possible and anything in between I think you can say exactly the same for most of the teams in and around us. Uh, quick note, thinking back to that Palace game, the second goal squirmed in via a flappy David De Gea after Van Arnold, who again seems to always play well against us, got the late winner. Um, now, sometimes we are known for, you know, as a as a fan base, we're known for overreacting, and that's been happening a lot over the last however long you want to call it. What? 10 years but uh, on this occasion uh, I'm actually pointing to myself because I did mention after that first game against Chelsea it looks like we got De Gea back Um, (laughs) point worth noting still not signed that new contract Um, and it does make you wonder a little bit what is going on with these discussions because the big thing with a game like yesterday and I understand that it's very difficult for a goalkeeper to a certain extent to completely concentrate on a game where your team's got like 80-90% of the possession. But a chance like that is not something that you would expect a goalkeeper in renegotiating a new contract to become one of the best paid keepers, if not the best paid goalkeeper in the world, to be letting in. 
and I've still got Dave's still got a very long line of credit with me, and I'm sure lots of other United fans, considering how many times he's bailed us out. You know, we were just going back to listen to previous pods in terms of rating his season and everything. And whilst the, his last couple of weeks in a United shirt were not great. You only have to go back to January when we were playing at Wembley for his last really standout world-class performance in the United shirt. It's not been that long ago where he was pulling an absolute worldie and basically helping us out for three points against Spurs. But that goal was a a particular shitter, was it not? Yeah, it was. One of the things that I do worry about this this United team and it's it's something we've seen too often really in the last in the last six months or even even longer is that I think there's a, a soft mental psychological underbelly to to it I took heart from the way we responded to conceding the equaliser at Wolves and actually went on to probably be the team that deserved to win the game to yesterday when we conceded the first goal and actually got worse and it seems to be something which is kind of spreads throughout the throughout the squad and I think De Gea has certainly been one who's been unsettled by that nervousness that just seems to overtake all of them and I think obviously the contract I mean, negotiations and, and it's, it's clearly unsettled him as well um, he's been unseated as Spain's first choice goalkeeper or go-to goalkeeper which is funny because Kep has really not been that good this season no he hasn't he hasn't I think he he's in he's at a stage in his career in a stage of his life in which he's more unsettled than he's perhaps been in the past just in terms of his professional position at club for club and country it doesn't surprise me that his contract's gone on this long because Mendes is in a position where he knows he can take United as far to the, towards the to January and beyond as he can but I, I also think that he would be very unwise to overplay De Gea's hand because I said in the summer that if he left I don't think it would be the end of the world for United presuming they got a decent amount of money for him and got and got a replacement in because of this because he's just clearly not settled if he's not going to sign a new contract in the summer then I, I feared that his his yips might might continue into the new year and it kind of has happened but I'm at, I'm at the stage now where if he signs a new deal great if he doesn't sign a new deal that doesn't really bother me too much either he he perhaps needs to to move on I mean I, I think I saw someone say on Twitter if the hair were to sign a new contract at United, you'd actually have to question his his uh, ambition, and it, and it's <laughs> true. You know, if if the Hay is staying at United, why is he staying at United? Is it is it just money, or is it just because he's in his comfort zone? I don't know. Because reality is, he's in his late twenties now. He's this is the peak, supposedly the peak years of his career, and and he's essentially going to be wasting them at a club which isn't going to be challenging for the Premier League title anytime soon, or anything much. Mm anytime soon you know the only the only flip side I can think of is that he's just genuinely happy living in Manchester and 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 he just likes being at United and doesn't particularly want to rock the boat but something's not right and the the result is that his his form has dropped and so if if anything else we just we need some clarity on that as soon as possible I think Mm, I don't disagree with any of that so I think we're about done for this week Rich you know it's I think we're both sort of on a similar wavelength in the sense that Saturday's result was a bit of a kick in the teeth, but not necessarily a prolonged one. You know, I think there's a, there's certainly elements of negativity that are founded in considering how that game actually went yesterday. But in the in the greater picture, I guess it's really not quite the disaster it's been painted out to be. Is that fair? 
I think it would be wrong. I think it would be unwise to go over the top about it. I think it's disappointing and frustrating. But there were so many, so many things, and not all of them within United's control that went wrong yesterday. That it's a small sample size, and I'd rather wait and see what we do in the next few weeks. And given the fixtures we've got coming up now, you know, we'll really see if United have made of anything or not. I don't think going to Southampton is easy. We've got Leicester, uh, West Ham, and then Arsenal next four, I think. And none of those games are easy. And all, all of those teams are teams that could take would take advantage if we were slop, as sloppy as we were yesterday. I worry that if we were we to lose another couple of games in the next two or three, that, that things could really sort of go south quite quickly. But, but by the same token, if we were we to beat Southampton and put any good performance against Leicester, then it really could be could be the thing that sort of pushes us into a longer run of form so it's just that that thing that I said that I've never gone into a season having absolutely no no idea how good we can be or or not or otherwise it's just it's a crapshoot yeah absolutely I mean I guess the easy thing to suggest at this stage is that Relative to United's season, whatever happens after the Southampton game, that's the first four games of the season done, and that's it. You know, we haven't necessarily won or lost anything, and we're not aiming for the Premier League title. So, obviously, at this stage, after that result, and considering the fact that we didn't beat Wolves, and the results for both of those games were actually in our hands to an extent, and we missed penalties that could definitely have changed the course of the game. I think United for themselves to a certain extent after the way these last two games have gone would be well served to actually go after Southampton and make sure they can get that result you know they've not necessarily had the greatest start to the season but won their first game this weekend um, but they've shown more than enough inadequacies and deficiencies for us to actually be able to take advantage should we actually concentrate for 90 minutes that was the big thing yesterday is that we switched off at two key moments and got punished and you see that happen in the Premier League so often. You know, we're not immune to that. And neither is any other team, to be quite frank. But yeah, I mean, I think the overreaction at this stage of the season, in particular, are coming off the back of one of the most demoralising seasons in United's recent history. I just haven't got the energy to jump straight down that crevasse just yet. No, no, but, you know, no. give me six days or so and we'll see how we get on. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rich. I'm going to go move house. I'm doing that this Enjoy. week. And then I'll speak to you after Southampton, I guess. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Not the house, no, right, not mate, the house moves much. again, obviously. Oh, thanks for that. Yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. All right, guys, thank you very much for listening. As always, don't forget you can get us all over Twitter should you so wish. You can get me at Tattoo and Lennox, Rich at Rich Red Voices, and the Pod at Red Voices MUFC. Also, our blog at redvoices.net, and you can find the podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and the Apple Podcast app. Have yourselves a superb week, and please try and enjoy it as best you can. We'll be back after Southampton. Bye. 